And you can have a seat. Well, this is the sixth and the final week in a six-week sermon series on the first letter of John. I've learned a lot. Um, I had very low expectations for this sermon series, and they've been exceeded. So that's good. That's good. I have come to suspect that the first letter of John was written not by the beloved disciple, the eyewitness of Jesus, but by one who was transformed uh, by the gospel of John. And this is good news for us, for you and for me. The greatest power of Jesus was not in his physical presence, only for those who met him. But the greatest power of Jesus is in his stories and his truths. Trusting and hearing the stories of Jesus and letting those truths resonate brings transformation. And that's the context of this letter. And it's something that we still do. Trust the teachings and the stories of Jesus told in community to uh, instruct and to encourage and to change us for the better. So one who knew and loved John's gospel wrote to a community that also appreciated and loved that same gospel. It's been surprising to me that each week I get a passage from the first letter of John from the lectionary, and I can find places in the gospel where the words and the themes match up. It's logical. It makes sense. They share the same symbolic world, but I didn't know that I'd be able to pinpoint it, that I'd be able to link the two together each week until I tried it. So concepts like light and darkness were found both in the letter and in the gospel and creation and even the very words in the beginning and sin and children of God and love Love, the most important theme, the pinnacle of the letter. Everything before it leads up to love, and everything that follows solidifies the significance of love. And then there's the concept of being born of God and believing in Jesus. You know, we've covered a wide range of theological ideas, and I think there's a reason for that. My New Testament professor, Luke Johnson, wrote that within the very first community that received this letter, there was a clash. There was a clash over the right understanding of Jesus. And some people left. They abandoned ship. They left the community because they understood Jesus differently. And this is extremely difficult for a group that defines itself by unity, that defines itself by sharing in the Spirit. So what do you do? What did they do? First, John is a call to love, and it is a call to hope, and to persevere in sharing love and hope. So these are the final verses from the first letter of John. They are a call to share. And you will repeatedly hear in these verses the word testimony. This is 1 John chapter 5 beginning with verse 9. 
If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he testified to his son. Those who believe in the son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen. The summer of 2019, just two years ago, my mother and my daughters and I took a trip to Canada. And while we were there, we visited the Bouchart Gardens. The Bouchart Gardens are 55 acres of gardens with over 900 different plants and 50 full-time gardeners to maintain it. Over 100 years ago, the site was originally a limestone quarry. The Bouchart family was in the cement business, and so when the limestone in their backyard was depleted, the mistress of the house decided to bring in topsoil with horse and cart, one cart at a time. And so over the course of many, many years and many, many carts of topsoil, these beautiful gardens were created. Two summers ago, we spent an afternoon in the gardens, and I walked out of there with a packet of seeds and a vision of a beautiful garden. <laughs> when you or I see something important, when we see something amazing, spiritually speaking, we qualify as a witness we have a testimony. So when I stand in front of you and I tell you about something important or amazing that I'm seeing, that I've seen, I'm bearing witness or I'm giving a testimony. In the Bible, there is a long history. There's a long history of seeing something amazing and sharing it, saying something about it. Both in our Old Testament and in the New Testament, this is an important concept to see, to notice something that is important, something that is beautiful, and then to share it. The Israelites are set free from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, and they bear witness to God's power. Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai face to face, and then when he comes down from the mountain, he shares the magnificent experience that he's had with the people. The prophets of the Hebrew Bible each share an important vision of God. And then in John's gospel, multiple testimonies converge upon Jesus. In the very first chapter of John's gospel, John the Baptist's job description is in fact to testify, to testify to the light, and he testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the gospel ends with the beloved disciple claiming that all he's written is testimony, a sharing of something amazing, 
Testimony is the framework of that gospel. But also in John's gospel, God the Father testifies on Jesus' behalf. And the Spirit of truth, the advocate, also testifies. And Jesus, Jesus even claims to testify on his own behalf. Our passage from the first letter of John revisits this concept of divine testimony. Begins with these words, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he's testified to his son. So I wondered this week, why would God do this? Why would God testify? It seems a little below God's rank. Why would the divine show up in this line of characters, humans with limitations who are wowed by the important things that God is orchestrating? What's God doing? Acting as his own publicist? Getting my attention like a teacher with an out-of-control classroom? Listen up, you're going to need to know this for the test. Maybe. But what if, what if God's been doing this all along? What if testimony is simply something that God does and we reflect God when we do it? I'm mindful of the first creation story in Genesis chapter 1. God speaks creation into being and then it's as if God notices the beauty, and is amazed. For God says, good, good, very good about creation. Bearing witness. Testimony. New Testament scholar C. Clifton Black wrote, testimony like love is not something that we initiate. It doesn't start with us. The primary witness is God. It comes from God and flows through us. Dr. Black goes on to say about 1 John 5, our testimony is an acknowledgement of God's accreditation of Jesus and the gospel's claim on our lives. You know, I think I have considered my own testimony to be either a favor that I do for God or a requirement to get an A in the class. But neither framework is helpful. It's not mine to initiate. My exclamation, my story of wow is a joining in the good, good, very good story of God. And might I suggest that a testimony or a witness isn't limited to spoken word? Art and music, a beautiful table, planting a garden, all can be considered testimony. Last week, I asked my friend uh, Gina Beal for a recommendation of a children's book because um, my friends are starting to have grandchildren, <laughs> and I needed to I needed a gift for a new baby. 
Gina told me about a book called Drawing God by Karen Kiefer. And this book is about a little girl named Emma who sets out to draw God with crayons. So she first draws with the yellow crayon, and she draws a bright yellow sun, dazzling and radiant, and she says, I knew I had drawn God. But a friend at school says, that's not God, Emma. That's the sun. So she goes back home, and she picks up a brown crayon, and she draws a loaf of bread. Like what my mom bakes. It makes me feel warm and tingly, she says, and I knew I had drawn God. But a friend at school says, that's not God, Emma. That's bread. This continues until poor Emma has been corrected multiple times by multiple friends at school. She feels heavy and she prays one night before bed, God help. Help me draw so my friends will see you. Back at school on Monday morning, she notices everyone in class is drawing pictures of God. And every picture is different. This has to be true about testimony. It must be true of testimony. It's so much important that you draw God with your own crayons than it is that I tell you exactly what to draw. Finally, I think it's important to think about what would make a testimony uniquely Christian. 1 John 5 verse 11 gives us the content of the divine testimony. This is the testimony of God. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Eternal life is available now. It happens now. It's not in the afterlife. It's not something that I'm waiting for. It is available and present to me right in this moment. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. What is it that's in the son? The way, the path, birth and death and resurrection. This path is filled with promise, but it's also filled with pain and uncertainty and tears and joy and laughter too. God's way in Jesus is the human way. That's what the first community that gathered around this letter knew to be true. That God's way in Jesus is the human way. Jesus, God's son, was fully human. There was no question about the divinity. But for the group that gathered around this letter, it was important to them to say, God's way in Jesus was the human way. Eternal life is in God's Son. And so I suspect that Christian testimony holds attention. It holds attention of the truth of what it means to be human with the trust of redemption. The truth of what it means to be human, all the joy, all the sorrow, with the trust of redemption. For redemption is the most amazing thing. Nothing lies outside of its grasp. That's beautiful, and that's important, and it's worth sharing.
It is like a vision of a beautiful garden. And every single person possesses a packet of seeds. You have eternal life. It is yours. Eternal life is in God's Son. And it's in you too.